Hello and welcome to podcast number two for Edge of Play. In today's podcast we're looking at the topics of heading the ball and whether it should be banned in the game. There's been some studies out which are suggesting uh, it could cause long-term damage to the brain. Uh, we'll be discussing that and what the repercussions may be. Um, we'll also be looking at simulation and its role in football, the pro game, the grassroots game and if there's any ideas we have solutions to getting rid of it, to tackling it at the very least. So heading and simulation our main topics today. Uh, I'm Jack from Edge of Play and I'm joined by James Stokes, also Edge of Play coach and Stuart Montague, also a level 2 coach. Excellent. So we thought we'd start today with simulation. It's something that gets everyone's blood boiling, it certainly has for me over the years, particularly from watching it on TV. You're watching TV and the player is rolling around on the floor and sometimes they get a penalty from that or a free kick or sometimes just gets the game stopped for a while while he gets treated and you suspect that he's not actually injured and time gets run down and you spend a lot of the game watching someone on the floor. So, who would like to kick off on this one? But We're not really looking for an overall uh, defining solution, we're looking just at some ideas. Are there, are there any? The, the, the FA and FIFA and so on have tried some, nothing seems to have fully worked yet. So, kick us off on simulation, your, your overview of it and your opinion of it, Stuart. I think with simulation it's, as you say, the, the the noises are they're always trying different methods to sort it out. A lot of it is uh, incentives of what are the incentives for the player. So you have to make it a disincentive to simulate. You need to make it where you're costing your team or you're getting yourself a ban, you're going to miss games. Uh, that's the, the sort of thing you need to look at. The, the penalties for being caught simulating or the penalties for, you know, the costs to your team aren't high enough really you can dive most of the time the referee won't book you for it he'll just say carry on uh, and you get another go at it and, you keep, and that's the, the strange thing for me is it, uh, the referees are a danger to themselves in that way and that they make their own jobs harder because if they were stricter on it less people would try and get away with things and then they would have less tricky situations to deal with I think even at amateur level, I've had it. I've had it as I've been a, a player or a coach before, where referees see a clear dive, they don't punish it, and you want to say to the referee, "Well, he's going to con you at some point later in the game, and you might miss it, and you're making life difficult for yourself." So um, you're looking, you're looking at it from the referee's point of view then, and how they deal with it, and then the governing bodies. That's the the, the angle into it. That's that's going to definitely come up in the conversation. So you've got probably one of the best points I've ever heard on simulation around the Fabrice Mwamba thing which is that the more prevalent it gets in the current game, the more likely we are to have a situation where it's boy cried wolf yeah. uh, on the pitch yeah. and someone's going to miss it. And it's whether we let it get to that stage, isn't it, where whether <clears throat> something serious is going to happen on a football pitch one day and someone is going to be there with a career-threatening injury, life-threatening injury, and because of the way things are going with it becoming more and more common to simulate on the pitch, that is going to be missed and it's whether that is the point where it takes action and in my opinion that would be too late. So I think that was your point, wasn't it, around the... It was, yeah, I made that a while back. And I agree with that. I think it's... I'm very much of the opinion that um, because of the current norms of behaviour in uh, professional football, you're a fool to put the ball out for another for another player who's who's pretending to be injured because 98% of the time there is nothing wrong with them and they're just doing it to waste time or to break up the play. So if you're a professional outfit, you're a fool to kick the ball out. Um, and as and then that leads to the, inc the situation where 
you do have a genuine injured player who's got a real problem and you yes. don't get to them in time because <coughs> we just presume that they're, they're play acting the same way as a lot of the other players are doing so it, it is a danger I suppose the the one suggestion that's been made before is um, the treatment on the pitch as the game carries on the physio can come on and treat them and then it kills two birds with one stone because there's no incentive to pretend to be injured if you're just going to lie there and the physio is mm. going to come on and treat you as the game goes on. <coughs> so maybe that's a solution. We talked about that, though, didn't we, in the, in yeah. the car before? We were saying that, you know, then eventually at some point, uh, someone, a crafty coach at the top level, will find a way to manipulate that and the physio will be <laughs> putting bottles in the way of someone running past them or tri- <laughs> tripping them up or doing <laughs> something. Some way, you just know, it might, would it be manipulated? But rugby doesn't seem to, and... It does seem to work. I suppose then you'd need, though, wouldn't you? If it's a serious injury, the physio would have to have some kind of universal sign which says, no, the game needs to be stopped here because we need to get someone on. Yeah, it can't just be for a. You know, but that's the an huge injury. problem, isn't it? That, that culture <coughs> problem that the players and the coaches and the teams are trying to bend the rules is the problem that we've got here. I mean, at the moment, you are relying on a referee out there to make a split second decision on whether something is important enough to stop the game for or not. Now the referees will go through their own first aid training, but that's not their main profession. The main profession for a lot of these is managing a game of football, and it's that's one part of it. I think the solution is to, to cut it out at player and coach level, and to stop basically cheating. But that is, I understand that that is a hugely massive problem compared to to what we've currently got. Let's just, just bring it back then. Let's go. Let's do it in a chronological thing of someone going down. So the first thing to decide is, which I think we might agree on, is that is it okay to go down if you get a knock? So you get a kick, it is a foul, but you could have stayed on your feet. A lot of coaches would say, like, no, you've, you've took the little knock, you can go down, that is a foul. You're not rolling round, you literally fall on the floor, you get a decision, you get up. That is a still simulating because you didn't need to fall down, but we all would say, yeah, but your stride was knocked off. You know, those situations. Do we all think that's okay? I, I think, again, go back to it, it's about uh, incentives. So at the moment, there's no incentive to stay on your feet because referees will not give you, a, they if will you not blow down. the whistle yeah. if, yeah, yeah. if you don't go yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in a situation where you might get two bites at it, if you're running through and you get a clip and you're like, right, I'll stay on my feet, I'll get my shot off, it wasn't successful, the referee pulls it back uh, and gives the decision, that's the sort of behaviour you almost want to incentivise because then players aren't going down. I, I think if you look at, especially at the top level of the game now, 75% of penalties are probably fouls and dives in that the player has probably been, been clipped a bit, but... You, you've no idea whether that player could have stayed on his feet because he's making no attempt to stay on his feet and you can't you can't trip a man who's already decided he's <clears throat> falling over yeah and that's the thing so half the time you can a lot of the time I look at it it's like are they trying to take another step it, you, and if they're not if both of their ankles are together and they're falling over well that is not a player who's trying to take another step yeah. so they although they have you know and now, then you get in the situation of manufacturing content. And some of the some of the players in Premier League now are experts at manufacturing content, yeah. and the idea that then then you say to a defender, well, you have to be clever, and you've given him a chance to go over. That's not really the game I want to see. I want to see a, a game where you're allowed to make a challenge. If you trip the guy up, you trip the guy up. That's fair enough, and it is a foul. But we've got to a place now where you, the idea that there's contact with two players and a foul isn't given, 
it's just alien now. Yeah. You know, the two players might bang into each other. Nobody's fouled. Neither one have fouled each other. They've just made contact. But someone will go down, if not both of them. And the sheer pace of the game makes that then so almost impossible for the referee to judge, and especially when the attacker, Definitely. like you say, is manufacturing it or buying it. When they say, you know, you bought that 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 decision where they throw a leg in, you know, it's almost too easy for them to do, isn't it? If you drag your leg and throw your leg out sideways a bit as you're going past someone, it will hit their leg. You then yeah. go down. It looks so like a penalty, doesn't it? Uh, or a free kick but yeah normally a penalty do you think technology is going to help them no not particularly I think one of the problems you've also got as well is you've got people making decisions on contact that don't really understand the contact and it's going to happen more the more you have referees who've started refereeing as young as 18 because they want to be a referee instead of playing playing a relative level or even just playing a bit of football you really, you know what contact looks like. You know what a genuine attempt to win the ball looks like. You know what a challenge in the air looks like. I've said so you're saying they're going to go off the the, the rule of the book and no. say contact's made. Therefore, in fact, they don't see that it's been, as you said. Yeah, I just, I mean, maybe it's unfair sometimes because if you're a good referee, you've watched a lot of football, you know. But the amount of times that you see referees and you know one player's made a back for another one or something like that, and they. Everyone who's played knows what that is and has seen it. And sometimes I think refs don't understand what's going on there. Sometimes they've so what, not, not been involved in those con- yeah. in that contact with someone. They don't know what's happened. I think that's true. I think so. That was one of the things I was mentioned about this. You mentioned the technology and stuff. And well, obviously now we've got VAR, and that is coming in. And there's also just even a couple of years ago there was the retrospective action, and I think the Scottish League did it first of all. I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure they still don't they have a panel still now, but it, nothing seems to come of it. Yeah. And they've got an ex-player an ex-manager and an ex-referee and they sit around and go yeah he was diving or no he wasn't diving but even that and then when I was preparing for this I checked like, there was one where a Rangers player had done it they decided the pal decided you dived and then his manager Ali McCoy was going that's a disgrace you're calling him a cheat and you realise even when you have all the evidence if, if we discuss and agreed it's still a pretty subjective thing because we can say well he didn't really dive well he, he did get a touch though so he, maybe he did dive and then it gets to a point how do you know what's in that guy's head yeah. Maybe he did get fouled. He was going at such a speed that a little knock did knock him over. How, how are you going to keep breaking the play for if it's a dive or not? And if you day don't do that after the game, your panel do it. So it's too late already, isn't it? The yeah. game might have happened. The penalty was given. Are you bothered that that player's now got a five-game ban because you can see the penalty? So it's going to affect the teams he plays against, not you. Yeah, it's so difficult, isn't it? How do you, how do you tackle that? I think the that? problems the problems only get it worse as we go on as well because the kids who are watching these players. They don't, they don't read up on the news afterwards and see that that player's been retrospectively banned. They might notice that one of their favourite players is missing, but they don't keep up as much as they, they probably should do. They see what's going on at the yeah. moment when they're watching a the game. In the so show. They see, yeah, in the yeah. show. Yeah. So they see the star player dive, and then you have, when you've got your under 8s or under 10s at training, they'll dive because they've seen it on a Saturday, and they think it's the right thing to do because the mm. star player's doing it, and they don't see the punishment that goes on after that. So then, as these players grow older and older and older that's almost in their game already which I think is it is a huge point and how would you how do you cut that out if it's not being cut out at the top level how do you cut that out in coaching mm. when you see that in your training sessions and you see that in in your games with your kids how do you I mean <clears throat> is it just a, is it just that you, you positively reinforce the good aspects of people staying on their feet and playing fairly and negatively Punish the diving and simulation, but then, I mean, you're in, you've got a teaching background, so you're probably better to answer this than I am. But 
you know, if you if I've got a, a kid out there in training and he dives and I punish him, but he's seen his star player on a Saturday do exactly that. What mm. messages am I sending him? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? And then you're trying to compete with that role model yeah. person. It's very difficult, and you're being the the villain to that, aren't you? Saying mm. don't do that. He's wrong to do that. I mean, if you go, so we went the grassroots first. Then I think that is probably easier to enforce the rules because what I was going to mention before is that the pro game. There's an argument, isn't there? The money and the high stakes of it all make these they're looking for every tiny, tiny marginal gain. The amateur game should not be doing that. It doesn't have to find every possible marginal gain. So if it's if it's more about development and you're diving around on the floor for what, so you can beat the local team in one game, those stakes are not as high. There's not the mm. excuses. They, but then how do you empower the coach? And I suppose one thing is we talked last time on our podcast about the Simbins, and they have talked about doing that with diving. And that would be interesting, wasn't it? If it was a case of yeah, you get the yellow card, but you've you've cheated and for a penalty, you know, tried to get a penalty. But yeah, I said yeah, it was a dive. Imagine that, the manager then, your play goes off the five, which you could also do at grassroots level. You won't have the VAR, but the referee makes the first decision. That was clearly a dive. Five minutes, off you go. Yeah. No succulent. That might be interesting then. It's sad that you'd have to do that because you're punishing someone as opposed to saying, do the right thing, aren't you? But it's competition and we know what we're all like under <laughs> competition. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need that almost, just like you need a yellow card sometimes to make you go, oh, I should have shot up there. I think at amateur level it's, it's probably more likely to work because at, mm. at amateur level you're, you're basically turning up for the participation. I mean, you obviously you want to win games and at higher levels of amateur football, you know, you are definitely in it for the winning. But if you're missing five minutes, ten minutes regularly, it, I would imagine that does become something that the incentives are there to not, to not do it. Mm. I still don't believe that if you're in the 85th minute and you're running clean through and you want to win a penalty, I think you still, you know, a lot of levels of amateur football, yeah. you are going to go down. Yeah. Um, and it's strange. I mean, I mean, we talk about, you're talking about kids and setting an example, but I think when I uh, first started playing amateur football over 15 years ago, diving really wasn't, and simulation wasn't really that prevalent, to be honest. It was still very much, it was frowned upon. Uh, but nowadays, it's definitely just as it's common as it is in the professional game. You know, you see a lot of it. You'll see a lot of it. People making out that they've that tackles are worse. People <coughs> dive. People dive in to get decisions and things like that. So it's not just kids, is it, that, that are influenced by that? I think. Well, I can remember are, that game refs are. we played in, and there's like a team that joined the league, and a lot of their players went to ground easy. Let's say. And do you remember that game was on a 4G pitch? I don't want to give any names away, but I remember a player went down very easily. And I think every bit of anger that swelled up inside you from years of watching the professional game was taken <laughs> out on that person as you ran to him and said, Get up, you've dived in, in not such nice language. Because <laughs> we saw it, and it was weird. To, that was for me, that, was, that stood out in my head because, and that was over 10 years ago, because it was like that's starting to happen in our games now, and it's affecting us and our weekend game that someone's dived to try and get someone booked and so on. So I think you're right, I've definitely noticed, just think of this season, there's a lot more people going to ground and there's a lot of us that get so angry about that because we're pent up anger from watching it on the TV. I think we're all irritated by it, aren't we? Yeah. Or do you think you feel the same? Yeah, 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 definitely. <clears throat> so I think we're all on the same page with that then. So let's imagine, this. So we're saying we, we all don't really like it, we're saying there's a bit on the moral side then for a coach maybe, certainly a grassroots to go, that's not the right thing to do. There's a little bit on the on the ref and his ability to be able to say maybe it's a simbin, maybe more than a yellow card is needed. There's a bit of that we can see, yeah. Maybe you do need a retrospective panel just for those times that it misses, that at least is better than nothing, isn't it? Yeah. So all those things taken on board, 
Um, and is there any other ideas on those then before we kind of move on? Is there anything else we can do to stop this dive? And we've done, you've done you on the morals, we've, we've improved the rules with sim bins, we've added more weight behind it, there's retrospective panels. Is there anything else we can do? You mentioned physio, who's been able to come on to an injury, so you're not diving around for injury faking, you know? I think else? I think with a lot of it as well, it's um, the same as with a lot of... Um, <clears throat> A lot of issues in football where we're, where we're looking at how do we stop this, how do we stop that. A lot of it is also are the are the authorities being serious about it, and are the referees being serious about it? When they're when they're reviewing the referee's performance, are they looking and going, well that was clearly a dive, and you've not booked him, and that was clearly a dive, and he's gone down easy, and you've you've given, you keep giving these soft free kicks for not a lot of contact and things like that. Is that being monitored properly? Are there are the referees being judged harshly on that because of for me, I watch the top Champions League games now, and I think some of the best referees around Europe. Um, there's far more contact in those top games. They don't. They stand for a lot less messing around. They stand for a lot less simulation. That's now. spun around, doesn't it? it used to I be think so. Yeah, the other way around. I think it? the top European games now with the top referees, you just see that they they don't want to be dealing with nonsense all game. Mm. So it feels like the the bar for what you're going to get a foul for and how much simulation they're going to put up with. It feels to me mostly, even with the European referees, continental referees, it is now the bar's a bit higher and they set their stall out in the first 15 or 20 minutes and then there's less nonsense in the game and they make life easier for themselves. And for me, when I'm watching a lot of the games, it, even at any level, it just frustrate, frustrates me because I think the referee has it in his hands to say how much how much of this he's going to put up with in a game. Yeah. And okay, sometimes there's nothing you can do. You know, you look at Howard Webb in that World Cup final where... Holland are kicking chunks out of Spain and Spain are throwing themselves all over the floor I don't think there's any referee in the world that could have stopped that game from being chaos mm. regardless of what he does but sometimes you do have a control over that and I think sometimes the refs aren't strong enough and you know <coughs> they cause their own problems by by letting too much of yeah. it go and not, not, and not having quite a high bar and going I wasn't sure about that I'm not giving you it Just I wasn't to, sure about that I'm not giving you it I know I totally know what you're saying uh, but to bat for the referees slightly on that I remember hearing a, a story about how in certain cultures uh, and I can't remember the country they were talking about it in but it was when there was the first influx of foreign players into the English game and almost everyone started to talk about it more right. to the point where Klinsman came and did the, the mock dive because it was like yeah I know you guys don't like diving and that went on. I remember there being like one of those football focus style um, discussions that they were saying in certain countries, the kids are taught how to, to do yeah. a dive as yeah. if it's a skill. So my skill is to not only like, you know, when we get the ball away from you as a defender, it's to leave my leg in a certain position, make it like a foul, you've got a free kick for your team, in a way you've achieved something. So you think the referees are, against, are working against that. People yeah. that every day train and part of it is, yeah, I'm too fast for this referee who's 15 years older than me. Yeah. And I'm going to just go fast feet, off I go, down I go. Oh, and I feel a bit sorry for the refs. It is, a lot of it's cultural as well. I've it's heard hard. a lot about the Uruguayans, the Argentinians, the Brazilians, who they see it as um, where we, we try to claim fair play and things yeah, like that. Yeah. They very much see it as street smarts. Yeah, know, yeah. If you need to steal an apple to stay alive, you steal an apple to stay alive. That sort of thing. It's like, I'm cleverer than you, I'm smarter than you, so I'll do this. Um, so a lot of it is cultural, and you you, yeah. you know you, you're not going to out. That's with, that's without trying to claim that the English players now are all fair play because the English, no, the English think, yeah. first eleven are as good as Sterling, Kane, Deli Ali. Yeah, you know, they can all dive with the best of them. So mm. you're asking a young referee to make that split second decision again. We always look back at these things, and you look back on the weekend football, and you'll say yes, that's a clear dive. 
That referee has half a second to make that decision. Yeah, most. It's so difficult. It's so difficult, especially when people are, are teaching it, and that's where, my personal opinion, <coughs> that's where it has to stop. If they're doing that, that has to stop because that's not part of the game. So you should be punished for that. And you're making it harder on these guys that are just trying to manage a game of football. That that said, maybe they... You know, when we do get the young referees, and you'll all back me up on this, when we've played an amateur game, you know full well, when you turn up in a game and um, you have a referee that asserts authority, right at the start, you stand there and you go, yes, I like this. And we're going to be in for a good game here. Um, someone that will come in and say exactly what I think straight away will come in and um, if needed get the cards out early to get control over the game if needed put players in the place to get control of the game maybe that's what you know these young kids that you were talking about they're saying they're coming in but they've maybe not uh, had the same experience in football maybe they just need to come in and be confident with it and be assertive with the decisions so that referee's got all these decisions to make it's going really fast you go flying down it's not just that though is it the referee then is thinking right was that a dive or not whilst he's doing that the teammates of the diver are running over going whoa yeah. whoa, 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 whoa the ones that didn't say I never touched him I never touched yeah. him so he's got all this sensory explosion the fans screaming compare that to rugby in those key moments you almost see the referee's thinking process he gets those because no one's in his face at all something happens he watches thinks and goes decision doesn't he Yeah. and that whole it must be so much easier for the referee when he's not got three blokes screaming in his face that was a definite foul that was a dive and he's like oh yeah, it's just terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Before we move on, as well, I think one thing we we should add to this is for me is not as just as the diving, it's the Neymar style over it. Oh, I'm I've been hurt so bad, my legs going to fall off. That reaction, I think for me, that's that's what makes my blood boil. It's not just that he's gone, oh, he's bought one there. That's a bit annoying. It's that thing of I'm in agony. I'm rolling six times at a cultural. World. I just don't get that, and that makes my blood boil. And it's frustrating, and, and and add that is as well into it. The amount of time wasted would that then go? So if it, we're not just talking simulation here. We're talking uh, well. We know we are, but not just mid-game. The game stops, stoppage in play, and how long are you going to pretend to be injured for? Is that the whole thing of the clock being stopped, like rugby does as well? Would stop that, wouldn't it? The clock stopped during an injury treatment, unless the physio was allowed on the pitch, like we said before. Clock stops. You can roll around as long as you want. Now the clock is stopped, mate. You would still disrupt the rhythm of the game. And you'd still be irritated if you're playing against him, but the clock is stopped. Because to me, when we're playing and someone's doing that, knowing you've got injury time added on isn't as nice, is it? Because mm. once you know 90 minutes has passed, you're all, oh my goodness, we've got five minutes injury time. That feels worse to me than it's 85 minutes and there's five minutes of normal play left. Do you know what I mean? You'll, you'll never get your time back either. In the professional game or in the amateur game, no, you don't, you'll do you? You never get the equal time back. No, you don't. And you know, clever managers now at, at all levels of the game know that. There's, there are teams even in the top level in the Premier League who are set up to waste time. They set up, you know, the ball's in play 55 minutes of the 90, and they know that they'll try. It's not just about time either. It's breaking up the flow of the game so you can't get a rhythm going. Mm. Constant stoppages, and I think that's probably something that's very difficult to stop uh, with referees and with associations. I think the the one thing that might drive that to stop is. If, if the product is becoming damaged, if if people are, fans are turning up and they're getting to watch fifty minutes of football, mm. or if the TV programs are only they're having to sell these games that are being broken up and there's no football and it's full of time wasting and it, the product then suffers, Devalues, think then it? then they might yeah. there might be an incentive for them to go this needs sorting out because it's the games <clears throat> are getting poorer. Okay, well, 
there's is, is probably so much more we could talk about there but if you as a coach have any opinions on that do comment uh, let us know get in touch uh, comment on the forums page or via our social media because it does is an, a topic that gets people fired up and it's interesting if you have any clever solutions we'd like to hear from you Wanted to move on then to something that's very topical at the moment, which is about the issue of heading. So there's been um, studies done recently. There have been over the years, but there's been stories that studies have been picked up. And it was a TV show, wasn't it, with Alan Shearer talking about it, um, where they're looking at the players from the 60s and so on, the World Cup winning side, a number of whom have dementia now and are believing that's linked in to heading a very heavy football back in the day continually, not necessarily in matches, the same training because they're doing it every day heading the ball so it's a daily thing of heading this really heavy ball which is essentially like in boxing being being hit uh, and we all know it's confirmed the damage that boxing does to the boxer's brains if it's over a long period of time so this idea that heading in a foot heading a football is causing that damage there's now talk and there already is some places where they've banned heading for juniors and saying it's not that your brain's not finished developing you shouldn't head in the ball so we're going to discuss that now Let's start with what we've already heard, or things you've read, or what you've 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 uh, researched about. Is anything you guys have heard on on the great about about heading recently? Um, <clears throat> I think it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because the it feels like the medical data on football is it's good that there's more uh, investment going into it at the moment. It feels like there's more attention going towards it, which is good. Which does still feel like it's um, from my uninformed opinion. It does feel like it's still not quite conclusive on what yeah. the damage is on uh, how much should be allowed how much shouldn't be allowed your natural reaction is to think it would be a shame if heading were to come out of the game because it's that's you know one of the interesting things about football is there's so many different ways to move the ball with your foot with your chest with your head and that's one of the things that makes it so freestyle um, mm. so it is it is tricky I mean, the bits that I've heard it's mostly uh, it's mostly head collisions I think I was reading that I read something that said it was 80% of the issue is from head collisions. So it's not from interesting the, with the modern balls. It's not necessarily from repeatedly heading the ball. It's it's 80% of injuries are from collisions. But then obviously, if you're allowing people to go for headers, you're going to have collisions. Plus, I suppose with that stat, it's, that's interesting to hear it like that. But I suppose if it's the long-term damage, mm. we might not know yet. You know, true, until true. a bit longer. If that generation of players who were like the first kind of pros, if you like. Heading the ball every day, we're just finding out now, aren't we? I've got that. I've got that written down here as the longer term effects because there's no way they can say at the moment he's had a head collision, therefore he's going to suffer from this mm. in the future. It's all just risk prevention at the moment. Yes, the more you head a football, the more it might reduce your brain cells or the more it might impact you later on in life. The more head collisions you get, the more it might impact you in life. So what can we do to? Reduce that risk of it happening, and we mm. don't. It's not. It's not an absolute science. It's not to say if you get ten head collisions in a career, by the time you're sixty-five, you're going to have dementia. They don't know that. Mm. There's, it's not. Uh, it's not as easy as that. So I think what they're trying to do is just say, how do we, how do we take the best precaution yeah. to keep our players safe, and when they when they get older. The, uh, it was on the radio the other day talking about that and about the old ball thing. So the um, radio host said to a widow of, of a footballer that had uh, died recently with dementia, 
and they linked it to they called it CTE. I'm not going to try and pronounce it this time, but it was that was the brain disease I think it caused. It's a long term damage. You've been hitting the head so many times, and she actually put the radio host um, corrected him and said that the, the the balls then were not like were not any heavier until they got wet though that was a thing but also that it was less about the weight of the ball just the amount of times you were impacted mm. so if you imagine someone like Alan Shearer must have been working on heading it after every training session because yeah. he was so good at it it's not so much the weight of the ball it's the amount of repetitions of your brain getting smashed mm. around yeah. in your skull it does make you think doesn't it yeah. a pro must be heading it every day kids that are in several teams could be heading the ball every night it's yeah, it does start to make you realise, doesn't it, that even these modern balls, it's going to be, it's quite some impact for the brain. Yeah, and again, it's not, it's, again, it's not a physical science, isn't it? So who's to say that? Yes, Alan Shearer heads it. They train four times a week, or train and play four times a week, and he heads that a certain amount of times every day. Therefore, he's at greater risk of getting this. But a kid might only train once a week, and my, as you said, it's not developed at yeah, that age. The brain's right. not developed. The body's not developed. Um, and they might only train once a week and he might only head the ball X amount of times but he might be at more risk than, than yeah, others than it's so is. hard to judge I think that there's a big difference isn't there between what you do to protect children and what you do to protect uh, adults who are entering into a physical sport willingly yeah. Yeah. you know because people who go into boxing know that there's dangers yeah, yeah. The when they get hit yeah. in the head they know that but they still want to they still want to be boxers yeah you get that I think it's a bit different with kids it's like if there are any risks you have to try and reduce it so I get the I definitely am on board with the idea of we try and young children we reduce heading or we just we don't have children heading the football until we're absolutely certain yeah you know if you're not sure about something well then you have to wait until you are sure don't you yeah whereas I think uh, when you become a bit older and then you can consent or not yeah to, to whether you want to take that risk on board yourself same with anything if you if you become a marathon runner, you know that you're probably going to do damage to your joints over the years, or if you're a tennis player, you might damage your elbow over the years, or whatever. Mm. If you're an adult, you can then, with with the information at hand, you can go, okay, I understand there is a there is a, a risk of me doing that, but I'd still like to play football. I still like it's such to, a tough like decision, to isn't it? Especially for someone like your, your football association, which determine at what age, if they are going to stop heading under a certain age, at what age is deemed acceptable mm. for people to either consent or not consent that they are going to do heading. That would be an adult, wouldn't it? It'd have to be the legal age for adult on that one. I'd say, yeah, it's just going to have to be when you're legally an adult, so you're 18. You know, I think that would be that. But in terms of juniors, what I would agree on that is that you might be a 10 year old who's more developed than the 13 year old but under 13's can yeah. head it and yeah. the under 10's can't and, it, and then what do you do then what are you going to do rules for every individual you have to blanket almost you have to blanket it when you I suppose and say all junior football no heading because we can't risk but then how to then you have an 18 year old going into an adult game with 35 year olds who've had yeah. 17 years experience of heading a football yeah. it's a completely new skill to them yeah it is and they might get a head injury because they don't jump it properly and get wet. Yeah, very good point. So it's very, and also I suppose I, to go against the point I made before, where I'm saying, well, you can enter into it willingly. Surely you should be able to not. If I don't want to enter into that willingly, but I still want to play football. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I don't. You know, I still want to play football, but I don't want to take the risk of the head injury. Do we do? Eighteen that? years of youth football have made you fall in love with football, yeah. and now you're told you have to head it. I don't want to then your career is over yeah. <laughs> yeah. that is very difficult isn't it and yeah. I think from from what I've read about the risks as well it's saying that uh, there's different risks with the male game and the female game as well so uh, the the percentage of 
problems in the female game is uh, so it was it was less so it was less collisions and it's more from the repeatedly heading. I think it was something to do with the neck mm. the neck muscles, strength of neck muscles or something like that. Might be flawed, I don't know, but it was just I just found it interesting mm. that then you might end up being you're then trying to codify differently for two yeah, for the two yeah. different um, sexes. I mean, for one of the um, for Edge of Play, we've actually bought these lighter sponge balls with the idea of when you have the junior sessions, they can practice the technique of heading it. But mm. it's such a good point because then your muscles in your neck are developing to head a sponge ball yeah. at the time, even though you're practicing the heading and where to make contact with the ball and the different types of header you can do, different ways your body can come onto a header. It's not preparing you for actually heading a heavier ball. Um, your body's not prepared for that. The the point about the I've not even written down anything about the point about head-to-head -head contact and and not. I think your point about you know going into that situation with another player that you're not completely used to would probably put you at more danger than yeah. if you practiced it as a kid because you're not used to some guy coming in and mm -hmm. and making that physical contact with you. So. It's almost like being unprepared for a crash, isn't it? In the car, you get so many people get whiplash because they're not expecting it. The body's yeah. not prepared for yeah. that. And it's the same in football. If you're not expecting some guy to come or some yeah. girl to come clattering into you, your body's not going to be prepared for it. You're going to probably hurt yeah. yourself more. Imagine playing touch rugby until you're 18 and then going and playing rugby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the um, when we were looking, we've all been like researching for this, trying to find out. And there was one study, but it was from over 10 years ago and this study was saying that they did a test on the spinal fluids of people who headed a ball the week before and the reason for that apparently that was a different way of doing it not just not as x-ray what they do scanning the brain yeah. you do the spinal fluids apparently when you've had a head injury you release proteins it said and i'm not a scientist i'm just reading from what i've i've learned here and you could test that and see how many proteins were in your spinal fluid the week after and you know if your brain was damaged mm. when you headed the ball so they did a test and nothing conclusive came through but they did the same test, and that was with corners just coming in. So we'd all go and head it a load of times, and a week later come back and test us out. And their proteins didn't change, but the boxers clearly did, apparently. So they said there's a big difference. We can't quite compare it, apparently, to boxing. Where the, 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 partly because when you head it, you normally, you're braced for it. You tense your neck and you're ready for it. Whereas in boxing, if you a shot that hits you, you obviously didn't see it coming. Yeah. It hit you. And that's the difference. You're not readying yourself. But then you look at these recent tests, the studies, and they seem to be saying more and more now it's more conclusive. It does cause long term. Gosh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. It's really difficult. So, what could you, what ideas do you guys have as coaches that you could do for junior players now or senior players um, in reducing the repetition for exercises when you're you're doing heading practices or to protect the players or to make it unopposed what kind mm. of things do you think we could suggest could be in your plan couldn't it that you have you'd have to be part of your training plan that it only so many times a month i suppose it'd be if you train once a week and have a match how many times a month you're like you would work on heading or set pieces that would lead to heading so mm. you'd minimize that that'd be a simple way whereas if you're saying right every week we start off a set piece train for 10 minutes that means every week you're heading the ball then at the weekend heading the ball so i suppose you could do your planning around not as much heading couldn't you but still it's part of your curriculum because it's part of the game. And you mentioned before, uh, Stu, about they've even had some like like the Peter Check headwear, but not as full on as his was to protect his brain after the damage he had. Uh, that was almost like, it lost like a sweatband around the yeah, head. Yeah, I've seen it. So I think it's a product that, it, from what I could see, it looked like it was a product that was coming out of America. And uh, I think it'll be interesting because a lot of this will probably be driven by uh, yeah. the US, the US um, soccer market because as the game grows and grows over there and with all the uh, the big news over there about American football 
with the head injuries and class yeah, action they yeah. very much take it seriously over there so a lot of what happens in the game might be driven by uh, what happens over there it's a big market uh, soccer wants to you know dominate that market so things that things that happen in the uh, on the global scale might be tailored a bit towards them if there was something where there's some sort of headband maybe that's interesting maybe you know that comes in but you still again as we're saying if it's going to be head to head contact there's still always going to be the risk there of concussions yeah you know there's, you're not going to get away from the fact that two guys going two you know six foot four guys smashing into each other banging heads if heading is still in the game that is still going to happen it's going to happen if, if it's not in the game yeah and right. those headbands then I'd be worried I'm thinking as you were saying that monetised mm, wouldn't it straight away oh right there's a new piece of kit everyone's going to be but uh, taking away that cynical side the way if you, you're hearing us you probably you can't see what we've looked at it was basically like a headband but it seemed to cover the temple didn't it which mm. is that key area if you get whacked there and that's where I got whacked in there and got a really bad concussion um, 18 years ago or something now but that has that has scarred me the reaction of that not physically but yeah I've never liked to head the ball that much since then because it was horrible I couldn't see for so many hours spent the night in hospital and the brain scans and everything because I kept passing out and that was a scare and that was just unlucky and then every other time since then it's never happened since mm. but just if you're catching the temple but like you say you could catch the temple you turn and bang into someone in a club in a yeah. pub in the street and you could get the same it's, it's more risk because you're moving at motion but you can't cater for everything people are going to get injuries and so on that then we had a little chat before about this but so we're kind of a little bit hard to know we, we're waiting for the research aren't we before you move but let's just imagine the research starts to show more and more this is the problem we need to stop for children at the very least let's imagine that what would the game look like and imagine how it would change the face of the game in many ways especially if it went to 11 aside so imagine the teams where your big centre back who's his big part of his game is he wins every header and he goes up for corners for headers corners would change completely you'd have players having to wait till it went below head height what would you be doing jumping tip with your shoulder if the, more bicycle kicks head injuries mm. from that you just think wow what would happen to the game and how many players his careers would be over because but my game is my head in what would happen to the game? <laughs> I think I think Maro Fellaini would win the Ballon d'Or. The way he can bring it down on his chest. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah he can just, do that. You'd have to manipulate yeah. someone out of the way if you both can't compete. Body yeah. in a way, those big players would still be able to play. They'd just have to dominate think. the space, bring the ball down. You likes of Ibrahimovic or whatever. I suppose would be able. You wouldn't be able to head the ball, but you'd have to. You could, still, you could, you could still go long yeah. to them. You could still go long to the big man. But it'd be more about chest and bringing people into play. And then we were saying before, um, Stokes, we were saying before that, oh, they were good for governing this because the long ball teams, you know, wouldn't be able to flick it on. But then equally, you wouldn't be able to imagine the ball comes in the air unless you volley it right. It'd be bouncing a lot more, wouldn't it? Yeah, Depends would go for it and not be able to get their body on it because they're not allowed to head it anymore. It'd be bouncing. So maybe it actually help long ball teams who could just thump it knowing it'll bounce. No one's going to meet it. Because what do you always say? Meet, you know, head the ball, win headers, get there first, and then it cuts out the danger. It would become a different game, wouldn't it? in so many ways the keeper would have a pretty good time wouldn't he <laughs> <laughs> he's got his hands and your head's now gone <laughs> is there any way you know for, for an introduction just after the left field you know in rugby where they can call it so there's a massive kick and the full back stands there and he calls it takes it and no one's allowed to challenge him mm -hmm. is there any way for a rule like that if, they, if there's two players if there's, it is going to one player and he's in a bit of space if he could call it which allows you to have a free header no one can absolutely wipe you out after that any rule any room for that 
you still got the head in there, haven't you? If you're yeah. going to let him head it. Still, yeah, but it's not the, the head, head contact. No, I suppose. Though. But what if you call and I'm two yards away and I'm yeah. going, but I've got every right to go for that. And you, you were too, would you have a set amount of distance? Yeah. It'd be so difficult to please, wouldn't it, for the ref that? Mm. It'd be hard to imagine, yeah, how, how would you do a kind of semi-ban? I think you, yeah, you're going to have heading or non-heading, aren't you? you I don't think, think so, gonna, yeah. I don't think you're going to manage to do it any other way. It's either going to be in there or it's not. I'd have nothing to my game if there was <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking for the small guys like us. This is just uh, things have just changed. Well, it would, wouldn't it? And all, all, uh, scouting would change. All that already. Most of the PFA team of the year and so on are lads are in the five foot nothings, aren't they? You know, they're not the saying It's the smaller, and it would suit them even more, I suppose, wouldn't it? Yeah. You're taking away people like Paul Pogba's for advantage over Sterling that goes even though Sterling beat him in the head the other day <laughs> <laughs> you're taking that advantage away somewhat it'd be very interesting but so concluding just to go to each one of us then what would you in the short term what are you are you hoping nothing changes junior changes full changes what go start with you Stuart and go to James um, what I what I would hope is I would hope that the research is done as fully as it possibly can be and I would hope that the research would come out um that the repeated heading isn't an issue and that we could carry on playing just because I particularly like the physical aspects of the game I think it adds to the game it's, yeah. it, it gives it it gives us something extra and I think it'd be a shame if that were to leave the game even more I think physicality is leaving the game a bit tackling is leaving the game a bit Yeah, you can't contest things with contact a lot and that frustrates me a bit I, I quite like that aspect of the game so for me it'd be nice if the research were to come out that way if it isn't, then obviously you can't just plough on regardless. You've got yeah. to follow where the data takes you. You've got to follow where the science takes you. Um, and I think in the meantime, until we know that, it probably is sensible with the kids to try and reduce it as, mu as much as possible until you find out the better information. But as with most things, you let the let the science lead you and let the data lead you. And I go think from that's there. great. Yeah, I think in terms of the coaches, yeah, let's wait. Let's wait until we absolutely know what the impact is and the football associations make a decision on that in the meantime just be aware of it in your sessions like you said mm. don't do weeks on weeks on weeks of heading practice with junior players just be a bit clever about it and if you are doing lots of repetition then maybe think about a different ball to use just to get the technique right but at the same time work on the way to protect your, your players when they go in for those those kind of aerial duels with another player as well but yeah just just keep an eye on it basically if you're doing session plans think about how much you, you're doing yeah I think I agree with both and the I think I'm just hoping that for junior football I think it could be pulled back certainly from the youngest ones I think already even before studies are complete under eights don't need to be in load ahead in the football work on their technique get the ball at their feet and then yeah as they get older I think it will have to like we've all said you can't just go 18 here's a ball head it it needs to be gradually maybe introduced until the studies come out otherwise I was just thinking then when you were both speaking about um, it would be sad if heading it'd be sad but it'd have to happen uh, if the results show in the test it's bad think of all those brilliant goals I think of that Van Persie header that time that in the world you know was at Euros incredible that header and, just, and then some of those those moments in games late on where someone wins the header or you're just relying on a set piece those moments would maybe disappear without heading and that'd be sad it would definitely take away so I'm hoping like you I'm hoping that the results show that if it's managed well 
it's not a long term problem let's hope so I'm going to have Harry so, Maguire in buckets definitely. of tears <laughs> sat there somewhere like, yeah. <laughs> taking my life away I'm retiring <laughs> uh, that's been really interesting I hope you found that uh, interesting as well guys and if um, you have any comments on it or any experiences or, or any know how reports you've read about it we'd love to hear them so get in touch on our social media follow our pages sign up to the website and, and join our community and we look forward to speaking to you in our next podcast Thank you.